This afternoon I preach you the gospel as we summarize and confess it in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Find that on page 519 of the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you talk to people around that aren't members of a church, colleagues at work, and you hear from them what they think about the church, you notice that they believe a lot of false things about who we are, the gospel of salvation. We notice that the devil teaches many lies that even prevent people from seeking to be members of the church of Christ. The first very common lie is that you can find joy without God. That's the lie the devil first spoke to Eve and then tried again with the Lord Jesus when he was in the desert. The idea is that if you uh, become rich enough, and you have lots of vacations, or if you find that, that perfect, beautiful woman or handsome husband, or if you have a, a loving family, or you have a chance to influence the world or whatever, you, you can find joy in these things without God. Another lie, a second lie is the lie that God is guilty for the evil in the world. The devil will concede his part in the evil, and that man is evil too. But along with this, he wants to make sure that God is always properly blamed for guilt too. The question that prevents people is, why doesn't God prevent evil if he's so great? And if he won't prevent it, I won't believe in him. It's no God at all. Why did he make man that he could, so that he could fall? The third lie that prevents people from seeking to be members of the church is the false idea that people who have committed horrible sins in the past can never be members of the church of Christ. Even if they have repented, they just, they'll tell you, I'm, I'm much too sinful to join you holy people in a church, you should see my life. And all these three lies that are told, that are believed, 
Uh, they all have something in common. They all show a lack of understanding about what the Bible teaches about the total depravity of man. But when we understand what the Bible teaches about the total depravity of man, then we will also see the truth. And we can see the danger of all these three lies. We confess that man is depraved and it is impossible then for him to find anything good outside of God. Man's depravity is the source of all evil and reaches all men equally. This is the confession of the church in Lord's Day 3. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme Believing in man's total depravity, we can understand the gospel. We'll see first that we cannot save ourselves, and secondly, that God is our only hope. The Bible is very clear when you read it that God requires perfect holiness, perfect obedience from man. He tells us plainly that no sinner can enter into the presence of God. Even if you have committed only just one small sin, let's say you, you spoke one harsh word when you dropped that hammer on your foot, or you had one lustful thought, well, Psalm 15, Psalm 24 tells you then you are unworthy of being received by God into the perfection of heaven. He is a holy, holy, holy God. So think about your life. What is your situation. It's, it's clear to see. Are you like Adam and Eve, practically perfect in every way, and yet expelled from the presence of God? Who is to blame for sin in your life? Are you just a victim of your parents' upbringing? Can you blame the worldly society for your sin? And look at yourselves, well, brothers and sisters, we know very well who we are. We know that we have lustful thoughts. We commit many sins. We fight against the rebellion in our hearts on a regular basis. We know we can't contribute even a little to our salvation. And yet over the centuries, and we need to be aware of that, many very influential teachers taught that there is something that man can do to contribute to their salvation. Some people say that when a baby is born today, it has the same innocence as Adam and Eve before the fall. And looking from the outside, I'm seeing Shannon here. She, she does look very innocent. She looks very cute. She doesn't know uh, anything about this life. And so seeing that, uh, people believe that the sin of Adam and Eve uh, did not affect the hearts of the children of future generations. And they recognize that people sin, or they say that people sin only because of imitation, because of their parents' bad example. And they then believe that people do wrong things because of the influences on their lives, but there is no fundamental problem with their hearts. Sounds like a lot of uh, educational philosophy that is being uh, accepted and swallowed uh, today. The idea that with just enough self-discipline, uh, self-control, 
prayer and dedication, a person can actually overcome sin in this world. You can gain perfection. It's possible, they tell you. This idea of Pelagius, and I mention the name because we read it also in the Canons of Dort. Uh, he was a teacher, an influential teacher. He and his followers uh, taught that a man is born healthy, uh, naturally good. Human nature is, is naturally good. And that though we sin and make bad choices, that's not something that really is a part of who we are. It's not something that uh, comes from inside of us. So they would say our sins do not reflect uh, who we really are. Now when a church teaches that sin is only superficial actions, external actions, something that's outside of who we really are, and then they'll give you a list of these types of sins, uh, drinking alcohol, smoking, dressing immodestly, participating in worldly activities, uh, they, they also believe that a person can actually reach the point of sinlessness. In Brazil, it's very common uh, that you ask someone if they, they sin, they say, nope, that they're sin-free. Uh, they've managed to overcome all the external activities that were categorized as sin by their particular church. They thought, they think, like the rich young man that Jesus talked to, that they had done all that God required of them. And when people believe that they are managing, they can manage to do enough to earn their salvation, well, they detest, they hate the doctrine of total depravity. They, they, they hate Psalm 51 that says we're conceived and born in sin. How dare you tell me that I can't be holy enough to come into the presence of God in my own strength. Other people say that a baby today uh, is born today, he suffers because of the sin of Adam and Eve. They make a connection. They say that a child then is born, let's say, spiritually sick, not healthy, but sick. And so we can only obey God's word partially and we need God's help to, to get us into heaven. It's partial depravity of man. They live under the impression that although they can't reach perfection, a person is able to do quite a bit, quite a bit to, to contribute to his or her own salvation, even though they may need some help from God. And we often uh, think that way ourselves. Uh, we often uh, set goals for ourselves. We, we have this confidence in ourselves. We're not pointing fingers only uh, outside of what we confess. We know it in our own life. But that idea that remains is that the fall did not make us completely unable to do any good. And that we can do genuine works that contribute to our salvation. Some leaders uh, even teach that we can pay for some of our sins to cover some of our sins with, with monetary contributions to the church or by doing some time in a made-up place they call purgatory. Well, the question is, does the Bible teach that our salvation rests at least a part 
on our good works and that at the end of the day to be saved, we, we just need to make sure that we've done more good things than bad things. Well, when we look to the scriptures, we see that the Bible that does not teach that a man is born good, a baby is born good, able to draw near to God on his own strength. It also doesn't teach that a baby is born spiritually sick and yet able to reach the goal of being with God if he, he just focuses his attention and has some help from God. But ever since the fall into sin, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, a person cannot be compared to a healthy person who is just blindfolded and confused by his environment, nor can a person be compared to a paralytic who truly desires to, to walk to God but actually just needs a ride. But the Bible teaches us that after the fall, we are dead in our transgressions. Not healthy, not sick, but dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Genesis 6, verse 5. Psalm 14, we sang Psalm 58. Dead in our sins and transgressions, and not, not inactive dead people who lie where they fall, inactive or passive dead people, but dead in sins and trespasses. I mean, dead in rebellion, which means that we are purposefully running away from life and from God as we actively and continually choose death over life. That's the fallen, sinful human nature. Paul tells us that not only is fallen man unable to please God, but also that his mind is hostile against God. The NIV had enemies of God. Colossians 1 verse 21. So the sinful nature leads people to choose to do what takes them further away from God. Many churches teach the situation is bad. They often have the Mankind on, on the one side of the, the gap, kind of looking over, hoping they can come to God. Genesis tells us that in our sin, man trembling fled from God. The dead in rebellion. The confession uses the words totally depraved. And with the words totally depraved, that does not mean that the unbeliever cannot do anything that is useful for this life. Sometimes the impression is given that outside of, of the renewing work of God, you will find nothing that is remotely helpful for the life of a Christian. Those who hold this idea will look with, with disdain at anything that comes from the world out there, and they believe that everything that is done by those who do not have the Spirit is necessarily diabolical. Every note of music, every brush stroke and painting, every invention. Yes, every idea, they'll tell you, that comes from the world is, is wicked and dangerous. But such a way of thinking makes Christians, makes us afraid to interact with others in our community because we think that we have nothing in common with anyone who doesn't know the gospel. 
But the Bible tells us that Cain and Cain's children were inventors of useful things that were used by the church throughout the ages. And there are many aspects of culture and art that Christians can receive with thanksgiving. We'll see that next week when we look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5. The word total does not mean that there is nothing that is good in this fallen world and in the, the lives of fallen people. Total depravity does not mean that a person is at the absolute bottom of the depravity barrel. We even confess, to be sure, there is left in man after the fall some light of nature whereby he retains some notions about God, about natural things, and about the difference between what is honorable and shameful and shows some regard for virtue and outward order. The main point of the expression total depravity is that every part of our being is so influenced by sin that it will never bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Against those who taught that our desires were never corrupted by the fall so that we can still choose to use the law and the light of nature to go to God and be saved, the church affirmed that in truth, we are completely affected by the fall into sin. We are totally depraved. And the word total highlights that every being, every part of our being is affected by sin. So our minds, our minds are obscured and darkened so that we cannot see even our needs properly or where we need to go. Our hearts are corrupted and we want what we cannot have with a very strong will, like a two-year-old child. Our emotions are influenced by sin and we respond to situations with emotions that are not appropriate for the children of God. Every part of our being is affected by the fall into sin so that we cannot reach out and seek salvation in God. Well, how did this happen? That's the nature of the question, the Heidelberg Catechism. This is where we are. How did we get here? How did God let this happen? Is God guilty? Is that lie or is that what the devil's saying true? Well, we respond with caution, respect, and a certain faith. We remember that when Job asked a similar question, God gave him a very clear and humbling answer. Job said, what's going on? What's up, Lord? And the Lord answered out of the storm. He said, who do you think you are? Were you there when the universe was created? Do you know how all the things work? How could you even begin to think that you could blame the most high creator of the heavens and the earth? You're a little man, a little speck in the universe. The idea of blaming God for sin in the world is so ridiculous that it can be compared to a person who, who receives a, a wooden chair for his birthday. But when he gets the chair, 
He starts busting the other furniture in the house and, and hitting his family and knocking them down. And when the police come to arrest him, he, he blames the person who gave him the chair for all the damage. The Bible is very clear as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, God created man good, true righteousness and holiness, able to obey him. And Adam and Eve, they, they threw away all the gifts that God had given them. They abused them. They became slaves of, of the devil and under the dominion of sin. Because of sin, our hearts have become corrupted and we bear children corrupted by sin. And every person after is, is born in sin. And so when we're speaking to people who aren't worshiping God with us, people who do not believe in the gospel, whether in the neighborhood or in our own families, it's important to explain this. God made man good, but every one of us is now born in sin. Every man is totally depraved, deserves eternal death. It's important to explain that no one can do anything for their own salvation. And often this is a very effective bridge for meaningful contact because we get put on the same level. It's an excellent way to demonstrate your humility, to show what the word grace means. No one in church is here because he or she is better than someone else in his own strength. And God sincerely calls everyone to come and bow before him. Everyone depends on the grace of God. He is our only hope. Ecclesiastes makes that clear. Through the author of the book, Ecclesiastes, he's called the preacher. God reveals the vanity of life without God. In the book, the preacher, who is clearly a very rich and a wise man, is trying to understand life under the sun. Under the sun is a reference to without God, without seeing that the fullness of reality. And so he experiments with all the delights and pleasures under the sun of the world to see if he can find a way to satisfaction and peace. And what was his conclusion? That nothing in the world brings satisfaction. Riches and beauty are vanity. Work, too, is vanity. He finds that even wisdom is vanity. It makes a difference while you're living, but then, then we all die. We all come to the same fate. And if you look at this just from under the sun without any connection to eternity, you say, what, what's the use? Like he asked many times. Through the book of Ecclesiastes, God teaches us that it is not worth wasting our energy running after the desires that the world offers without God. Time and life without God are agony. The fall into sin takes away the, the meaning and joy of man's life since in the end everyone will just die anyways. And what is the way out of all this vanity? If you have Ecclesiastes open uh, still in front of you, you can see that 
at the conclusion when he comes to chapter 12, verse 1. What does he say there? Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Why does it help us to live with the understanding that we have been created by God? Such a a vain life under the sun. So many, so many sad things. So much suffering. So much frustra- frustration. Why does he say, remember your creator? Because although we are lost in ourselves, and we are unable to do any saving good, and even though we are only corrupted, twisted versions of the way God created us, we never stop being created human beings. Every person that you meet, every person here this afternoon needs to remember that you have been created good by a sovereign creator. It needs to believe the promise that in Christ we can return to this perfection, this obedience, this fellowship with God. That's, that's what we're proclaiming. A return to the fullness of peace and love that we had when God made us. Although because of sin it is hard to see that we were created in true righteousness and holiness. And I think if you ever were to walk through a prison and, and, and talk to people who have, about the crimes they have committed and, and the horrible things that have been done, it's very hard to see that image of God in human nature, which even just think of your own wicked sins and desires. We never stop being people created by God. When I was... Young, I remember seeing other children, uh, older children who were not nearly as well behaved as the older children today. They were putting pennies that they had found that day um, on the railroad tracks by our bus stop. A penny is, is used to be the one cent coin here in Canada. And they put it on the, on the railroad track right by the bus stop. And at the end of the day, uh, they would, we would come back to the bus stop and, and they would take these coins that they had found on the track. But since thousands of pounds of train had run over them, the pennies would be completely squished and, and spread out. I remember being so shocked to see this. Both sides were so flattened that you couldn't even recognize it as money. You couldn't use it to buy anything anymore. And yet when someone asked, what is that flat oval piece of smooth copper that that older person with you has in his hand? I didn't say, well, it's a piece of copper. But I said, it's a useless penny that has been flattened by a train. We remembered what it was. We still remembered what it used to be. Ecclesiastes 12, remember also your creator. Remember that you are a creature. And although that piece of copper was completely distorted and made useless, it still remained a penny. After the fall into sin, we have become 
like squished pennies. But we still remember that at one point in history, we were not like this. God made us in true righteousness and holiness. God created Adam and Eve good and in his image. He he made the human race in in true righteousness and holiness so that he would desire to, to spend eternity with God, praising him that he might rightly know God and and love him. Even hearing how God made us, our hearts are excited again. That's, That's what we want. But the fall and disobedience of our first parents made our nature so corrupt that we no longer look like we used to. Conceived and born in sin, with our corrupt natures, we no longer serve as faithful representatives of God here on earth. That's why we need the gospel, why we need what the promise we have in Jesus Christ. We have God's stamp and seal. It can be seen in the fact that we have human bodies, the body with all its complexity. Yes, it's a body that is suffering because of the sinful rot of of envy and selfishness and and hatred that probably even changes the way our face looks and and our stance. And we're not faithful to that mandate to to glorify God in our work and our family and our worship. But there are footprints, the footprints of God in us. The image is squished like a penny left on the railroad tracks. But that's not the end of the story. God tells the squished pennies to remember that God created them in righteousness and holiness. And to remember that we can be born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. God who made us is more powerful even then, the rebel, rebellious sinner. God made us able to love him and to love our neighbor. And God in his grace and his mercy has not abandoned us. That's the center of the gospel. Jesus Christ takes away our sin and our guilt. Jesus Christ gives us his, his Holy Spirit to fill us and to guide us so that once again we may begin to look like the image, the radiance of the invisible God in Christ. The same Spirit who dwells in Christ as the head dwells also in us as his members. And like our head, Jesus Christ, people whose hearts and emotions and desires and bodies and minds were tainted by sin, we we begin to see some changes. They're little changes, but they they make us look different than than the world. All of a sudden, the, the face of our king can be seen shining through us a little bit. As the Spirit fights against the sinful nature within us. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's like being born again. 
as a copper smith can remelt a squished penny, pour it into the original form and, and drop the press into the metal to slowly engrave the original image back into the copper again so God by his Holy Spirit can regenerate his children so that they will be born again. We confess then that regeneration is comparable to creation or to the, the rising from the dead. If you were to keep reading that chapter of the Canons of Dort, you, you would get to that point. And that's our only hope in life. To be acted upon from outside. And that's the promise of the gospel for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And so while the devil is telling lies to try to, to push people away from, from coming to the, the source of life, to, to finding full salvation in Jesus Christ, we love to preach the gospel, the truth, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. God is our only hope. And although we have sinned against him, and in our sinful natures we deserve eternal punishment, he remembers the works of his hand. He remembers. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. And he restores us in his son, Jesus Christ. To once again live like Adam and Eve before the fall. Created good and in God's image. In true righteousness and holiness. Knowing, loving, praising, glorifying and living with God in eternal blessedness. Amen.